What does it mean to be set on fire for something? How do you go from a simple man to someone who changes the world? He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. This rock? Me? I'd say it was impossible. But then I watched him do the impossible if he used this fisherman. Maybe he could use anyone. All right, everybody, good morning. Good morning, and you don't always see me run out of the sanctuary right before it's time to preach. You should have seen the look at these guys' face in the back. I didn't even need to see their mouth. Um, forgot this outside, but I'm back, and uh, it's good to be here. Good to see you guys. My name is David, if I don't know you. If you're joining us online, good to have you with us as well. Um, before we get into this week's message, just want to give you a little primer. Next week, we're going to start a, um, a new series called The Unsaved Christian. And um, what's an unsaved Christian? Well, you're going to have to come back next week to find out. But uh, I, I think it's going to be really important. I think, uh, I think there's some things that I want you to understand that we need to understand in, in the cultural context that we live. And, and I think... Um, I think it's going to be really good. Uh, this week, we finish up uh, Man on Fire. And during this series, we've been looking at the life of St. Peter. And we, we, we've really been focusing on these last events of Jesus's life, right before his death and his resurrection. Because when Jesus looked at Peter and said, you are the one, you're the rock, Peter, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. It was around those last events of Jesus's life that that God used to really form Peter into the man, the man on fire that would uh, go on and do incredible things for Christ and the church. And we, we've really kind of walked into that and, and uh, started in week one, uh, where we looked at Peter realizing he wasn't who he thought he was. And then last week, Easter Sunday, kind of got to understand Peter's experience of Easter and how it was a little different, how there were some unresolved things there for him. And this week, Actually, it all really starts to come together. Um, this message is titled Rekindling the Fire. I'm going to read John chapter 21, 1 through 17. And um, I just, I, it's my favorite of the three weeks. Um, I don't know if you can have a favorite if all three of them are your own, but um, it's my favorite. And I, and I think it's going to, um, I think it's going to bless you this morning too. Why don't we go ahead and pray and then uh, we'll, we'll read. Heavenly Father, um, we come before you now as your people, graced with this opportunity to come before you through the blood of your Son and worship and sing and come before uh, your throne to, to speak directly to you now. And, and Lord, um, for that we give thanks. And Lord, for worship and for offering our lives, opening our lives to you. We're here that you would speak into us by the power of your spirit and do the work that only you can do. Lord, just as we see Peter's life this morning and you forming him, Jesus, I pray that we would see our lives and give you opportunity to form us. Lord, um, I just, I lift up this time. I lift up every single thing that's going on in every single life to you right now. You know those things.
you, you see us, you hear us, you hear our prayers. Lord, bring all that together by the power of your spirit this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of every heart be pleasing in your sight. Jesus, you alone are a rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to read John uh, uh, chapter 21, 1 through 17. If you've got a Bible or one on your phone, I'd encourage you to follow along. Um, it's kind of a long uh, scripture passage, but every single bit of it matters this morning. So hang with me. Here we go. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. And when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Um, so, about six years ago, I think, uh, Shannon and I moved here to this community, this area. And before that, for two years, we lived in Katy on the west side of town. 
And in order to get to here from there, we had a house that we had to sell. And we had never owned a house before. We had never sold a house before. So there was lots to learn about that whole process. And lots of people gave us all kinds of really interesting advice. But this is the piece of advice that has always stuck with me and intrigued me tremendously. Bake a batch of cookies. Anybody heard that before? So if you haven't, here's the, here's the idea. Um, just before you have a showing and you get that phone call, a showing's about to happen, you turn on the oven, you put in a batch of cookies, or you put like a pan of water with cinnamon in there, and you turn it on and you heat it up and the smell goes all through the house. And then um, when it's time to go, you turn it off, you take out the cookies. I, I guess you take them with you or you leave the pan in there or whatever. And then when people walk in, suddenly they, they, they see the home and they smell the cookies and they go, oh, reminds me of grandma's house. I could see myself living here. And, uh, and that's what you do. And evidently, it, it, like, it, it has an impact. That's what people swore by. Uh, anybody, just out of curiosity, anybody ever done that before? Yeah? Oh, man, we have people that have done that before. That's awesome. We didn't, even though I was incredibly intrigued by it. But turn to the person next to you and say, cookies, cookies, cookies. All right, so when I first heard this news, um, I was so intrigued by it that uh, I, I did a little research, and, um, and I, I found out that there's actually scientific, like, legitimacy to this bit of recommendation. By playing with smells and their associations, what we're actually doing is tapping into something that neurologists call the Proustian phenomenon. Uh, it's named after the, the famous French author Marcel Proust, um, and he must not be famous enough for me to pronounce his name right, because I don't think I'm getting it right. But anyways, he wrote in a book, uh, In Search of Lost Time, there's this scene where this character suddenly has these vivid memories from his childhood rush into his mind. And where does it come from? Well, all of these things that he had long forgotten suddenly show up because he smells a tea-smoked, a tea-soaked biscuit. This biscuit like brings on all of these things into his brain. Yeah, that's a funny picture. You can laugh. And, um, and, uh, and, and it's, it's this Proustian phenomenon. He's there, he was tapping into this thing that Marcel Proust observed and actually has been proven in research. In fact, there was a study done out of University College in London that said of all the things that bring memory associations to our minds, uh, noises, sights, uh, um, environmental factors, the one thing that is more powerful than any other is odor. It's the nose. <laughs> Good smells, hugely powerful. Bad smells, hugely powerful. And that's probably pretty dangerous in the mind of a middle school boy. But um, here's the thing. I am, uh, I am bringing this up because it actually ties into the text this morning. You guys uh, may have heard this passage before. Maybe you haven't. It's an incredibly powerful passage of Scripture. But what, what we often are not familiar with or know is that right at front and center in this text is actually smells and their associations. Let me try to explain that for all of you. I want you to backtrack with me now to John chapter 13 and 18. This is where we kind of started with, P, with man on fire. This is the last supper, John chapter 13. Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to go, that he's leaving 
that he's no longer going to be with them. They don't like it. And Peter stands up and says, Jesus, where are you going that I can't go? I'm going to go with you. I'm willing to die to follow you. And Jesus looks at Peter. And what does he say? No, you're not. You're not going to die to follow me. And John chapter 18, if we jump ahead, like later that, that very night, Jesus has gone to the garden to pray. He's been arrested. And now he's inside the house of the high priest being interrogated. And Peter is standing right outside the courtyard of that high priest waiting to see what's going to happen with Jesus. And he's standing there and there's a servant girl who's a part of the high priest's house. And he looks at, she looks at Peter and says, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter says, no, I'm not. Some time passes, right? Uh, somebody else looks at Peter and says, weren't you with him in the garden just recently? Peter says, no. And then just after that, yes, you were. Are you, yes, you were. I saw you. And Peter says, no, I was not. Three denials, the rooster crows. And this is, this is the scene of, of Peter's denying of Jesus. And it's one that maybe you're familiar with. Maybe you've heard before. What you probably didn't notice is that there's a smell association going on here. All of this happens in a very specific way around a very specific kind of fire. Let me read for you um, verse 17. It says this, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter, the servant girl. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. So in English, we read that bit of scripture, see the word fire. We don't think twice about it, right? But um, in the Greek, this word that's used for fire there is a very specific word. It's only used two times in the entire New Testament. And it's the word, as you can see, anthrakia, anthrakia. And it's specific it's unique. It would have jumped out to the original readers because it was specific for a charcoal fire, a very specific kind of fire. John, writing this gospel, very much wanted us to see that detail. Otherwise, he wouldn't have used that word. He would have used a generic word for fire. But he wants us to know that this was a very specific type of fire, a charcoal fire that Peter was there standing. Why? I'm going to explain Later, but I want you to envision the scene in your mind and think about this. Uh, here's Peter. He's denied Jesus one, two, three times. And there he is that night standing next to this fire, watching the embers rise into the air, thinking about what he's done, warming himself, all the while over the smell, over the experience of this charcoal fire. Association is there. Forever he's going to remember this lowest moment in his life with this experience of this charcoal fire. Step back for a second. Um, do any of you guys have uh, associations like that in your life, in your mind? There's a thing, there's an event, there's an experience, and there's some, some fixation when you see that or when you hear that, it brings back to mind that whole event, that failure, that pain, that hurt, something that happened. 
You know what I'm talking about? You know, one of the people that um, I think have dealt with this in higher numbers and in very specific ways are war veterans, especially those who have served in combat. And um, as best I understand it, in its more extreme, severe cases, like this is actually what post-traumatic stress disorder triggers from, right? There is some sort of sight or sound or smell or or textile thing that, that people experience and then suddenly they're back there, you know, and, and the bomb's going off or they're standing next to their friend who's bleeding out or, or there's something, something that, that takes them back to that moment of pain and fear and hurt. And there's actually a movie that did a, a really incredible job capturing some of this in the, in the very true story of uh, a vet named Chris Kyle. It's called American Sniper. Came out, it was a while ago, a Clint Eastwood film, really powerful movie because it gives such a piercing look into his struggle with PTSD. And, um, and, and in the movie, uh, it's, it's his unattended baby in the other room crying that brings things to mind. It's, it's, he's driving and he sees a vehicle in his, in his rear view mirror off the side in his periphery and suddenly he's back there in the middle of this war that he's trying to leave, that he's trying to come back to normal life and the man can't, right? He's stuck, he keeps getting triggered. And um, uh, just share a little bit of my own personal experience here. So, some of you guys know that um, I was in a pretty horrible construction accident in Ukraine that ended our time as missionaries there. Some of you guys know that's what a lot of you probably don't know is that as a part of that accident, um, I suffered from a, a lower grade of post-traumatic stress disorder myself. And so for quite a while, there were um, any kind of unexpected sound, uh, a crash, a boom, uh, would take me back to that, that, that moment, that room, that place. Um, if there were loud, like if there was flashes up above my head, especially in my periphery, I, I would get triggered. And it, and it was even like, it's even still the feeling of grit in my teeth. And when stickiness gets on my, my, my numbed hands, um, I, I just, I, I, I went back to that place. I, I know that place. I, I know what this feels like. And um, when I uh, was working through all of the things that had happened as a part of that accident, one of the things that was recommended was that I go have some counseling to kind of work through the events of this accident that I was in. And, um, and one of the things that the counselor had me do that honestly I hated and was terrified of, he said, I want you to go back to that day and I want you to revisit those memories moment by moment by moment. And I want you to pray for God's presence and healing to be a part of them. And I said, no, <laughs> but he, he, made, he eventually said yes. And he made me do it. Um, and I went through every single bit that I could remember and I got done. And then he said, okay, I want you to do it again. <laughs> and, I, and I hated him. <laughs> and then I did it again. And I'll tell you, it was not a fun experience, but at the end of it, I experienced a great measure of healing. It took away a lot of the sharpness. I experienced um, 
some dulling of the triggers to the to the point where I rarely experience that anymore, and um, and for that I am thankful. But here's here's where I want to bring this back and tie this in. Um, I, I definitely don't want to read my own experience into the Bible. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But when you actually look at what's going on in John chapter 21, what Jesus is doing with Peter, I want to tell you, I think he is doing a very similar thing. He's walking Peter back into this experience, and he's doing it through associations. Um, Let's get into John 21, and let me just get us back to this text. It begins, we read the passage, it begins with Peter initiating a fishing trip. Right? Jesus is resurrected, and he says, hey, disciples, let's go out and go fishing. And what I don't want you to miss here is this is the thing that, Jesus, that, that, that most of these other disciples did before they were disciples of Jesus. They were fishermen. This is what they did. And so here, Peter, it's almost this hint that Peter's given up, that he doesn't see himself able to, to do what Jesus called him to do. He's, he's saying, I'm going fishing again. I'm failed. I'm not qualified. I don't know what to do. Jesus is risen. It's wonderful. But here I am. I'm, I'm going to back, go back to be a fisherman. And, and so they, they go out and, and they go fishing and they don't catch anything that whole night. And then the next morning, what happens? Jesus shows up on the shore and he calls out to the boat. Did you catch any fish? No, they don't know who it is yet. He says, cast your nets to the other side of the boat. Is that familiar? Have we heard that before, Jesus, to some fishermen? Yes, it's the exact thing that he said to Peter when he called Peter to be his disciple. They had caught no fish all night. He said, throw your nets to the other side of the boat. What happens? They pull in these nets full of fish that first time, and here it happens again. And so John, who wrote this gospel, and oftentimes picks up on these deeper levels and meanings of things. He's, he knows what's going on. He's figured out that, that it's Jesus. Peter's still clueless over here. And so he leans over to Peter and he goes, Peter, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. And Peter suddenly makes the connection. And the man starts getting back to his old self, Right? What what does Peter do? This is the Peter we know. He jumps in the water out of this boat and he swims to the shore. And it doesn't say this in the scripture, but I can't imagine that Peter didn't run up and give Jesus a hug, right? And there's this other little detail in the in in the text that I just think is so Peter, so interesting. He was he was naked when he was fishing. Does anybody did anybody catch that? Like, what is Peter doing fishing naked? Like, was that a thing back then? <laughs> like, what about sunburns? Um, like, like what, why? And then, and then I don't know if you, if you caught this, but he actually puts his clothes back on to jump into the water. You got that backwards, bro. Like, I don't, like, it's such a curious deal, but it's so Peter. This is this man finding his, his form again. And so he jumps into the water. He swims ashore. He sees Jesus. And, um, and the other disciples are following with this net. And this is the thing that I really want you to see. Look at what's waiting for Peter when, when he gets there to, to see Jesus. This is what Jesus has prepared for him. Verse 9, when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. A charcoal fire. Said that word athrakia was used only two times 
in the entire Bible. The first one was his denial. The second one was this moment where Jesus meets Peter on that shoreline. There is deep intentionality happening here in, in what Jesus is doing with Peter. He's bringing to mind all the associations, everything that that smell of charcoal, all that, that moment of denial, he's, he's bringing that back before Peter with all intention. There was driftwood, driftwood all along that lake. He had lit that fire so many other ways. And yet he makes, he makes this choice. It, it's, it's Jesus taking Peter back to this moment of his pain. And then after they eat, Peter spends the whole time eating this breakfast, smelling this charcoal, right? Knowing what's going on. Then after they eat, it's almost like Jesus doubles down, right? So, so he, he, these three denials that happen around the fire, here's three interactions now that Jesus has with Peter around the same fire. And, um, and the scene is so intense. It, it almost feels like an interrogation when you read it, right? But Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And, um, and, and he says, feed my sheep, right? Next, Jesus probably waits a moment. Then he says again, Simon, son of John, maybe this is like an ancient way to say your middle name, right? Uh, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says again, tend my sheep. One time, two times, and then finally a third time. Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? And, and the scripture actually says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him again. Peter is hurt that he continues to be asked, right? But three denials, now three moments of interaction and, and professions of love and forgiveness. And here's what Jesus knows that, that Peter needed to know and we need to know too. Sometimes hurt isn't always bad. It's not. Sometimes hurt is how we experience healing. We have to hurt to heal. And so Jesus is making Peter work through this failure because this was the only way that Peter was going to experience true healing. So he's setting this up. He's bringing everything to mind. He takes him back into the fire of his failure so Peter can experience forgiveness and freedom. You see that? He had to go through the fire to find freedom. Um, uh, let, let's hold that for a minute, actually. Um, and, and, and let me, let me just say this. Um, sometimes I think, nope. Uh, so sometimes in order to be free, we have to walk through the fire of our own failure. Because can we pull that slide for a minute? I think we're going to confuse folks. Sometimes in order to be free, we have to walk through the fire of our own failure. You guys hear me on that? Um, let me ask you, when you think about your own experience of healing and finding freedom, ha have you guys, um, have you found that to be true? That in order to be free, you've got you've to work through the pain and the hurt in your life? I, I just want to say I reflected on this in my own life, and not only have I found that to be true, I found it to be exclusively true. 
I have, I, I have um, never found real healing, full healing, until I was willing to work through what I had done, through my failure or through what had been done in my feelings to me. And, and, and I, I just think that this is a connection Jesus is trying to make. He's very intentionally making. He's saying, I want you to heal, but I need you to deal with the hurt. And, and so he's taking Peter back into this moment. And, and what I, what I want to just point out is, is our natural tendency isn't, isn't to walk into the hurt. That's not what we do. That, that's not what any of us do. What's, what's the natural thing for us to do to, to avoid it? We don't want to walk into the fire. How I'm going to get burned, right? And, and I actually think the analogy of sweeping under the rug is, is really helpful here because I think this is kind of where we naturally go as people. Right? So you have some failure, some dirt, something bad in your life, and there's a pile of this in your living room, in your house. And how do you deal with it? Well, I I don't want to go through all the trouble of getting down on my knee in that little broom and getting it up, right? What do you do? You look and see if mom and dad's there, and then you lift up the corner of that rug and you just sweep it underneath, right? Y'all know that? You ever, you ever done that? Right? Oh, don't. I see kids going, no. <laughs> uh, so we adults do this too. And um, we lift up the corner of that rug and it happens again. And we sweep it under. And then some other failure, some other pain or some other hurt, and we lift it up. And suddenly that spot under the rug starts to grow and grow. Right? And that pain gets more painful. And it keeps coming back until suddenly you're avoiding this spot in the room of your life, you walk around it until suddenly it almost becomes unlivable, right? And, and I think what, what Jesus knows and what Peter would have experienced is if we don't deal with that pain, we, it will overcome us. It will create unhealthy places in our lives. But, but, but again, I think what Jesus is doing is helping Peter deal with this so he doesn't go back to being a fisherman, so he realizes that God's got a greater plan for his life. And so here, now's the slide. Here's what I want you to realize. If Jesus forces you to face your failure, it's because Jesus wants you to know his forgiveness and his freedom. Y'all hear me? If that thing keeps coming back up in your life, if that pain just won't go away and you feel like you're being forced to, to face this failure, it's not because God doesn't love you. It's, it's because he loves you and he wants you to experience forgiveness and freedom, right? And, and, and so that's what we got to do. Um, that's what we need to see. <laughs> Amen, Brad, buddy. Thank you, Jude. Um, there's one other thing I want you to draw out of this text. Um, I, wa- I want you to see this isn't just a story of working through pain and moving into healing, This is also a story of how healing leads us to participation in God's kingdom work. Y'all see that? There's more to this story. And here's how how I would say what I see God doing in Peter's life and ours. God calls us out of our pain and into his purpose. God calls us out of the pain in our lives and he moves us into his purpose. Um, When Jesus asked Peter if he loves him, and Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love him. It could have just ended there. Like for most of us, that's probably where we intuitively thought it would have ended. Okay, you love me. 
uh, they, let's go get back to eating breakfast. I forgive you. Let's move on, right? But that's not what happens here. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then what does Jesus say? Then tend to my sheep, feed my lambs. What Jesus is doing here is he's reminding Peter of the call that he has on his life. Said, you're not disqualified from that. You're not done with that. I haven't forgotten about you or not forgiven you. I haven't given up on you, Peter. I have lambs out there that need to be fed, and you are the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. So I know that you love me. I know all things. Now go and feed my lambs. Right? There's there's a power and purpose that, that, that Jesus draws out of Peter's pain. And, um, and, and when I think about what God does so often with our pain, it's, it's that he, he, he so often moves it into his greater purpose. This is, what, this is what God does. Sometimes the greatest points of pain in our life are, are, are the places where, where we um, end up having the most powerful ministry, where God's able to use us in the most significant ways. And I'll just, I'm just going to share one instance that comes to my mind here this morning. How, how many of you guys are familiar with this uh, symbol? Um, some of us are, some of us are not. It is the symbol for Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, it is an organization that has changed thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives uh, for folks who struggle with alcoholism. And um, what, what you uh, probably don't know is a little bit of the history of it, but just long story short, there's two fellows who founded Alcoholics Anonymous. Both of them were themselves alcoholics and were able to take and find some healing after they found some Jesus. And they were able to build this 12-step program that, that, has, that, that has literally changed the game in the way that we diagnose and address alcoholism and healed so many people. And I, what, what I also wanted to say is just a few months ago, I got to watch when a person who is a part of this congregation, who themselves at a young age uh, became terribly addicted to substance abuse, substances and ended up on the streets, has now found healing for 25, 30 years. I got to watch this person as they ministered to another person, and it was amazing. It was amazing. They spoke uh, with conviction, with compassion. They were funny. They were articulate. They said what needed to be said in the moment while understanding the place that this person was in. It was incredible. And I, and I sat there and I watched it and I just thought to myself, there's no way he would have known how to say that or know this if he hadn't been there himself. And, and it, just, it just helped me understand and see again, so often the purposes that God calls us to are out of those deep places of pain that God heals. And I just, I just want to point out, this is often how God makes men and women on fire. He finds this point of pain, he heals it, and then he calls us into his power and his purpose. And y'all, um, I just, I, I want to finish by just getting you to think and reflect and ask these questions because I know the Holy Spirit doesn't sit here idle in moments like this one. Okay? Um, I bet that there are some of us with charcoal fires that are burning in our life. Right? There's moments 
there's things, there's associations and, and places of pain that just sit there. There's, there's big spots with dirt under our rug, right? If that's you and you feel that coming to your face, like let the Lord speak into it. Let him take you back there. Let him help you experience healing. Okay. And what I also want to say is if, if you're there or if, if there is that place of pain that's been healed, it also might be the place in where God has a greater purpose for your life, right? There are people out there that need to know what you know and need to know the grace that you've experienced. And what I'll tell you is I, I think um, you should open yourself up to that. You should listen. God very often calls us into those places of ministry when we open our lives to him. Y- y'all hear me? All right. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love and that we get to be a part of your family. Lord, I thank you for what you did in Peter's life, that you called this man out of, out of his pain and into your purpose, that you brought back him to that place so that you could bring him to healing and new life, Lord. I pray that you would do that with us. Lord, I pray that you would drag us through those coals so we could know the freedom of your release and the goodness of your grace. And and Jesus, if there's somebody here today, there's multiple people here today that need to open themselves up by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that that they'd do it, that they'd, um, they'd, they'd open their lives to you, Lord. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.